For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams. One of my earliest memories growing up as a kid was walking through the woods with my mom and grandma, trying not to step on the mushrooms they were so diligently searching for. Well, mushroom foraging is growing in popularity, and a new children's book aims to help kids and their families learn the basics of mycology. I recently talked with author Melanie Kahn about her new book, Mason Goes Mushrooming. Mushroom season is truly a season here in, in our neck of the woods where you will mm -hmm. see multiple cars parked along the side of the road about three miles from where the people are actually hunting because they want to throw other people off so they're not hunting in the exact <laughs> same places. Uh, it's, it's, it's truly a sport here, I think. Mushroom. A competitive sport. Yeah. Yes. What is it about going out into the woods and foraging for mushrooms? And in this case, has kind of spawned a, a book aimed at, at grooming and up-and-coming mushroom hunters. That's such a great question, and my, my initial answer is it is indeed seeing some sort of a resurgence or renaissance or it's having its moment. Uh, I have been mushroom foraging since I was a young child, and I'm now 58 years old, so that's many decades. But my parents were uh, amateur mycologists when I was growing up. They loved the woods, and they loved taking me and my sister mushrooming. And when I had kids of my own, I just reflected so much on that experience of being in the woods together as a family looking for these hidden treasures that we would then go home and cook up and make you know wonderful omelets or put into uh, in the side with a steak and I wanted to do it with my own kids and when I went to look for a book that I could potentially read to my kids about the joys of foraging in the forest and mushrooms there were none over the years, I started taking kids out into the forest myself. I volunteered to do nature walks and schools and Montessori groups and all sorts of different kids. And universally, as you mentioned, kids and, and grown-ups just are mesmerized by mushroom foraging. So when I had the opportunity to write a book, I decided to write a children's book mm -hmm. that focuses on four mushrooms, four recipes, four different seasons, and four little adventures that my son, Mason, who's now 20, um, and our family dog, Buddy, um, would, would have when they went out into the woods. And by doing so, I used really beginner mushrooms, really easy to identify mushrooms, connected to them to the trees that they are usually associated with, and gave it a, a, a very lovely feel, I think, by the fact that it's illustrated by a friend of mine named Ellen Korbanski, who is a children's book illustrator, and she does these wonderful, lovely watercolors that are very inviting to children, you know, filled with animals and other things that you would see in the forest in addition to the mushrooms. And a little bit of science tucked in there, but not too much. For those that may not have been tromping through the woods or have been tromping through the woods and not really knowing what they're doing, what, is, what, are, what, are, the, what are the basic ones that you, you, that you suggest that people look for and, and learn about? So in Mason Goes Mushrooming, I divided it into four seasons and put a mushroom in each season. So in the springtime, as you know, out in Illinois and in your neck of the woods and also up here in, in Vermont, New Hampshire, it is the morel. Mm -hmm. The morel is sort of the, is the king of all mushrooms. Um, it has a very short season. It's uh, two weeks. It comes and it goes. And it sprouts in Vermont anyway when the apple blossoms come out. And you can often find morels under... Uh, in abandoned orchards and under old apple trees. You can also find them under dead and dying elm trees, which is very popular out in your mm -hmm. neck of the woods. Yes. There's a lot more dead and dying elm trees than there are here. 
Um, also under tulip poplars, cottonwoods, ash trees. There's a, a there's a saying: find the tree, find the mushroom. Right? It's a lot easier to go driving around and see the the right kind of a tree than it is to be you know pushing aside the grasses and looking in the <laughs> on the ground. So find the tree, find the mushroom, and then in the the second part of the book. We uh, Mason comes across a, a fairy ring of chanterelles, and chanterelles mm-hmm. are a fantastically uh, expensive, delicious culinary mushroom that are typically quite easy to find under ferns and in wet, you know, wet woodland areas. And in the case in Mason goes mushrooming, uh, Buddy actually finds them by accident, which is a little bit like what you described, you know, <laughs> <laughs> running through them. <laughs> And then, uh, and then uh, the lobster mushroom in, 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 in August. The lobster mushroom is a bright red, red mushroom and very, very easy to identify. Nothing looks like it. It's like hunter red, you know, and um, usually comes up super dirty because it's got a sticky substance on the top of it that all the leaves attach to. So sometimes they can be hidden under the leaves. But if you see that little teeny peak of red, you know you've stumbled on some lobster mushrooms. And then in the fall, in the book, the last chapter is a black trumpet mushroom, which is a sneaky mushroom, very, very hard to find. But when you find them, you usually find a lot of them. Hmm. And they like to grow amongst their friends. And uh, Mason discovers and knows that uh, black trumpet mushrooms are one of the few mushrooms that the deer like to eat. And so he follows the deer trails and then finds the black trumpet mushrooms. Uh, and in each section of the book, there's a little recipe at the end where he brings them home and he cooks them up in a very simple way, usually either a saute or a, or a bake or an omelet, something that a kid could, could you know, easily follow and learn how to do. Um, so th- those are the ones that I started with, but there's many other beginner mushrooms uh, that I would also recommend. And I, the last thing I want to say about this, the best way <clears throat> to start mushrooming by far is to go out with a local mycology club or group. And they exist in your area all over the place. There's, there's one in almost every you know, section of America. And um, that's how I recommend folks who are just starting to learn how to forage. It's a very oral tradition, mm-hmm. wonderful to be handed down from generation to generation, from one mycologist to another, um, where you can see, touch, taste, feel the mushroom in, in you know, in the three dimensions as opposed to on the other in a book. And so that's what I would recommend anybody who's interested in going foraging as a family or even on their own to start with their with their local mushroom club. And it is it is it is important to know what it is you're looking for, but not because not all mushrooms are created equal in terms of their ability. Is is there a common one that, that those starting out may want to try and pick and they really should stay away from? No, absolutely. Uh, great question. Um, the most destructive mushroom in the forest is one called a destroying angel, aptly named. Uh, it is a it's a white amanita, and uh, also known as the death cap. It's a it's a not not a good way to go out. It also doesn't look anything really like other uh, any of the mushrooms that I describe in the book look nothing like this. You know, they're not mm-hmm. none of them are white. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's there's ones that you should definitely learn you know, the hazards of, uh, but there's a lot of common misperceptions about um, the poisonousness, the poisonness of mushrooms. So, for example, you can pick a death cap, an amanita, and look at it and examine it and touch it. You just can't ingest it. So, um, you know, there, there's, there, there, it would really take quite a bit to, um, a mushroom like that, um, You'd have to go to quite, you know, 
you'd really not you would really would not have done your homework <laughs> put it that way <laughs> which i do not recommend I, this is not a book about uh this is a book about getting your toes wet going out in the woods uh learning how to forage and not necessarily even how to that you forage to eat you can also forage mushrooms just to uh, make spore art with them. For example, you can mm-hmm. take them, you cut the stem off, you lay them on a piece of paper overnight, and, and the spores drop overnight. And in the morning, the kids come out and pick them up, and there's a beautiful design underneath it. And they, you can make, you can do multiple levels of different color spores on on the paper, and kids love that. And you can also go through the woods and you know stomp on the puffballs and see them all explode. <laughs> and, and so there's a lot of other things you can do besides eat them. The, the idea of the book is to engage kids with the the wonders of what is out in this forest. I mean, fungus in general is an incredible area of study. You know, there's over 2,000 types of mushrooms, but there's also, you know, fungus in our gut and in, a, and in our medicine and in our fermentation process and our breads. I mean, it's everywhere. And learning about it, not just the, you know, edible mushrooms from the forest, is really fascinating. You'd mentioned something a little earlier when we were, when we were talking that that it can be in, in some regards competitive, and there are really serious folks don't necessarily like to let other people know where it is they go, and you have to either almost marry into the family <laughs> secret or know something else about yeah. somebody. What is it about where mushrooms grow that that, that cause otherwise? what I would consider sane adults to um, (laughs) really (laughs) become very childlike (laughs) and protective of their, of their past. I've I've experienced this. (laughs) Um, So here's the way that I like to sort of think about that and reframe it. When you, you have discovered what you call your spot, right? What that implies is that you yourself have put in the time and the effort that it takes to find it. Right. Mm -hmm. And Spots exist literally everywhere. There are mushrooms on every, you know, look out into the hills, there's mushrooms covering every acre of every ground of the forest. They're just not yet discovered. And the reason they haven't been discovered is that they, somebody hasn't had, you know, the time to go and find that one. So when you have put in the time and really found a spot that you like, it does become, you do t- tend to covet it. Uh, a bit because you know that it took some time to do that, mm-hmm. and so I, I mushrooms in general are everywhere, and so this idea that there's a lack of abundance of them is not actually true. There is a lack of abundance of time, personal time, to go look for them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the way that I describe it. They are literally everywhere, and uh, mushroom clubs tend to not be um, competitive. They tend mm-hmm. to find public lands and places that they've walked before with the goal of educating and sharing um, how to forage. So a little, little slight different take on it, but I, I definitely, I, I myself have a couple places that I go to every year and think, boy, I'm glad this one hasn't been found by anybody else yet. <laughs> yeah, in the book, Buddy is along for the for the foraging as well, and, 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 and I have a good friend that, that takes uh, takes his little terrier uh, with him, and he just swears that she can find mushrooms. Have you experienced um, our, that? With- our, our, our buddy was entirely unhelpful. <laughs> 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 he, he, uh, he was much more interested in, um, you know, chasing little animals and uh, 
running around, and he loved to go to the woods. He absolutely loved it. But he, um, I, I spent one summer trying to convince him through it, you know, training, you know, smell this mushroom, go hide it under a fern, see if he would find it. Uh, he wanted nothing to do with that. But um, the nice thing about having a four-legged friend, uh, it, it, for, I mean, if, if you can, if you can convince them to help you find mushrooms, I think like that's phenomenal. But the thing that dogs do, I think, more than anything, is that they help us get out into the woods. Because taking your dog for a walk in the woods is is like life's finest joy, right? Everybody loves to do that. An off-leash experience, potentially, deep in the woods where the dog can run free. Uh, Dogs help us get out in the woods more. And so that Buddy certainly did that. Even if you weren't in the mood, Buddy was in the mood, and you better get out and take him on a walk. (laughs) So you, you talked a little bit earlier about what about what prompted you to to, uh, to write the book, and that there wasn't anything else out there, so fill 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 a niche that that was there. Um, how did did he, was was writing the book an easy transition from leading and helping others learn about mushrooming? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am not. A children's book writer, and I, I, I'll tell you a very quick story. Um, my illustrator is my friend Ellen that I went to grad school with, and actually undergrad also. She's a fantastic illustrator. You can see from the from the watercolors, mm-hmm. she's just brilliant. And it was during the lockdown, and she lives in Harlem in New York City, and she had not been out of really out of their apartment much with her two teenage girls for almost a year. I said, Ellen, you must come up to Vermont for Christmas. It's just, it's just, you're too cooped up. So she came up and, and stayed with us at our farm for a week. And I came in one day and she was at the kitchen table and she was drawing a bluebird out of the window with her watercolors. And it was beautiful. I said, Ellen, you can just sit here and do that. Like that just comes out of you. And she said, oh yeah, I love nature. I love drawing animals. I love drawing anything in nature. And I looked at her and I said, I have this children's book in me that needs an illustrator like this. Would you consider collaborating with me on it? And she looked up from her pen and she said, sure. And I said, oh, no. (laughs) I was then accountable to Ellen. And um, so I got her a first draft by that February. And um, I would say almost nothing in the final book is anything that was in the first draft except for one thing. And this was a really key element the structure never changed. Mm -hmm. So I had my four mushrooms that I had picked. I had my four seasons. I had my son, Mason, and Buddy as the characters. I had the four recipes, and I had the four adventures. From there, it was basically agony. It was rewriting, (laughs) rewriting, taking out words. You know, because when you're writing a children's book, it has, every word counts, Mm -hmm. you know? You can't, you can't be lazy. You can't have extra, extra, you know, extraneous, you just can't. And so I learned a very, very long and hard year-long editing lesson. Writing is rewriting. And, uh, yeah, so no, it was not easy. <laughs> Ellen, however, her every time I would send her a, uh, a illustration to do or an idea, she would send me back something that was perfect. And I would, I, I, I it was very maddening. So is there another? So is there another book in in the offing now that you've already gone through this process once? And, and... Mm, yeah, well, at, at having just described to you the the childbirth like process. Of, of okay, maybe not. <laughs> no, well, actually, it, 
it depends on how this is received. Mm-hmm. It's, if it seems like there is an audience of folks that would like to, you know, engage with their families more and their mm-hmm. children more uh, on this on the subject of mushroom hunting, absolutely. I I already know the f- the four next mushrooms I would do. I would do a giant puffball. I would do the chicken of the woods. You know, there's some mm-hmm. other a hedgehog. There's other beginner mushrooms that would be completely applicable. And then I have a daughter named Allie who often we go for walks with our cat named Chuck. And so Chuck and Allie would be the next two protagonists. <laughs> so I, I do have an idea for it, um, but I'm going to wait and see how, how we do with this one first. Because as I said, uh, children's book writing, for any of your you know listeners out there who've, who've tried their hand on it, they, they I'm sure they know it's, it's um, for me anyway, it was much harder than it, than it appears. Yeah. I think I, at the beginning, I asked, wasn't exactly sure how to categorize this. Is it, it's obviously a children's book. It's obviously mm-hmm. educational. It's instructional. Um, uh, it obviously appeals to, maybe in a different sense, to an adult audience that would be looking at it as well. You've got these wonderful. It's 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 kind of a it's a work of art, and that you've got these wonderful um, uh, illustrations in it. How do you characterize the book that you've created? Well, yeah, the the category is children's nonfiction, you know, and then they put slash biology, education, science, any of those things. I, I would say this about Mason Goes Mushrooming. It's a book that is absolutely geared towards children, but parents who want to read to their kids a good night book, who have an interest in the outdoors and have an interest in foraging or getting their kids into the woods, I would reach for it myself as a parent because it would interest me as I'm reading. And I've heard that now a number of times from my parent friends. They say, I enjoy reading this book to my kid at night because it's got a lot of stuff in it that's very interesting to me. And if you, you, you have kids, you know, like the, the bedtime story, you know, you do that 365 <laughs> nights a year. <laughs> it gets, you start to pick the ones you like, you know. And then the other audiences. I think a four-year-old child, it, it says ages four to nine, a four-year-old would look through it and pick out the squirrels and the porcupines and the chipmunks and the fairies and the, you know, various different things that are on each page. And a nine-year-old would be reading it to themselves, you know, so it would be, it would span that age range between, you know, learn to read, reading to learn. You'd mentioned that the, that the structure had stayed the same throughout the process for you. How important was it for you to uh, integrate not only not only learning about the the mushrooms, but then also what you can do with them once you find them. Well, if if you're looking at a copy of the book, you'll see that at the end of each section there's a recipe, and the recipe is uh, by design very simple. So there's a morel omelet, there's a black trumpet crisp that's just essentially a, an oven crisp. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lobster mushroom that's just sautéed lightly in in butter, a little bit of garlic. And I tried to make the recipes really simple so that kids and families can taste the flavor of each of the different wild mushrooms because they're quite unique. And they taste nothing like store-bought mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And often when I would take kids out in the woods, they would say to me, "Um, I'll go mushroom hunting, but I don't eat mushrooms. I don't like them. And I would say, I hear you. I don't really like something about mushrooms, too. But I think the thing you don't like is the same thing I don't like, which is their texture. And kids would nod, and they'd say, yeah, they're, they're, I don't like their texture. And I'd say, well, we're going to cook them up 
And we would do this on walks in the woods with a actual frying pan and camp stove and little olive oil. We're going to make them crispy. We're going to put a little sea salt on them, and you're going to just taste them as a you know not. It's not going to have that spongy texture. And I would watch in front of my eyes uh, the the kids just become converts. You know, they'd say, "This tastes great. This is nothing like what." You know, I'm used to a mushroom tasting like, and that was always a, a real joy to to see their sort of culinary horizons expand. Well, the um, Mason Goes Mushrooming is book. It's it's out now. It's been absolutely wonderful talking with you about about this book. For folks that hear this and want to find out more, I'm assuming it's available at all the usual places. Where where else? Where can they go to to find out more information on the book? Well, Jeff, I'm a I'm a huge fan of of local bookstores. <laughs> um, our town has several, and I like to keep them in business. Uh, so if you can get it at your local bookstore, you can also find it on our website, um, masongoesmushrooming.com, which has it at, at a discount. And you can also order it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Indie Books, Goodreads, all the, all the normal places uh, that, you get, that you get your books anyway. Um, yeah, and it is coming. I'm, I'm picking it up this week. I'm looking forward to seeing it for the first time in, in hardcover. I did have it printed locally also right here in Vermont uh, in a sustainable paper, and I'm super excited about that as well. That's author and mushroom forager Melanie Kahn. Her new children's book is Mason Goes Mushrooming. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.